0: a presentation <laughs> ah, let's just start anyway what's up everybody welcome back to another untitled movie review of course i am one of your hosts of Matt <laughs> alongside he's allergic to tomatoes but he is tomato meter approved eric Marchant. i have three dogs you know i can't i
1: can't i have three dogs that's uh that's all i can you say you know I can't, you can't no.
0: control them um, and they're big. I'm not going to apologize too. to you. Well, I've got mm-hmm. two
1: big ones in a, in a medium one, Hudson's okay. a, a medium sized dog. All so, right,
0: right. Yeah. I just remember the two big ones. Cause I'm not a, I'm not a dog guy. Um, I, I liked dogs, but like big dogs scare me. Cause when I was a kid, like I got chased by like a, um, A German Shepherd, a really mean German Shepherd and a couple of Rottweilers when I was a paper boy. Very cliche, Um, but uh, scared the shit out of me. And then um, my sister got like nipped by a dog once, too. And I've just been kind of afraid of big dogs since then. So even though I know they're like friendly, but like whenever one like jumps at me, it kind of fucks me up for some reason. But uh, today we're not here to talk about dogs. We're here to talk or dog trauma uh, yeah, so today we are reviewing a little bit late because, you know, mental health stuff, guys. I'm slowly getting back into it. I'll talk about all of that on a main show that we're actually going to record today. So you'll be able to listen to that and watch on the Untitled Movie podcast channel. But yes, today we are talking about uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is now playing in cinemas everywhere, which you've probably seen by now, Um, doing very, very well. Um, so this being a week after it's released, uh, we're gonna go full spoilers on this review. So, like, there's not gonna be a spoiler free section. Eric and I both loved it. Uh, this was probably my most anticipated film of the year. Uh, lived up to that hype and even more. Um, do have a few criticisms, but uh, I, I think it's not a perfect movie. Um, mainly if you know our opinion on Dune, you'll know where I'm going with on this. Um, But uh, we are going to talk about Spider-Verse across the Spider-Verse with full spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, please go do it. Um, I don't know what you're waiting for. Maybe you haven't seen the first film, but it is streaming on a bunch of different places. But you should watch that first film and then go see this immediately. Uh, it's very, very good. But Eric, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. And speaking of mental health, uh, there's going to be a short Miles Morales film, The Spider Within, that deals with him uh, focusing on a panic attack. So
0: I didn't know that. Yeah, anymore. it just
1: was announced today, I believe. So uh, there's that to look forward to as well. And and you know, cool. very. You know the, the the writers on this and and the the production team are very keen on kind of making a real world Spider-Man within an animated milieu. So you know it's always nice to think about you know that there's a kind of a, a real world aspect that you can relate to. You know it's not just simply enjoying the spectacle of. You know this comic book character that we've come to know and love, and and just the the canon of the Spider Verse in general. Um, you know, being a great escapist entertainment, there's a lot there to really enjoy from a practical sense and a and a realistic sense that grounds the nature of the storytelling. And I think that's also why this movie and the first Spider Verse, you know, across the Spider Verse and into the Spider Verse are two, if not the best comic book movies ever made because they play with the medium of animation, but they're also great genre-defying films that know how to balance both action and character development. We talked about this a little while ago on a regular show where a lot of the motivations – And the story comes from how characters make decisions and the choices they make in terms of whether they be consequences or motivations to move to the next part of the development. It's the motivating factors in which the story progresses. And that is something that is very unique within a comic book Movie because most comic book adaptations it's all about a MacGuffin getting you one place to the next, or you know, convoluting the story with multiple characters and origins and tangling things up
0: unnecessarily. Where this feels does that in a very streamlined yeah. And, you understand everything that's going way. on, it's completely yeah. coherent, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll just kick it off. I mean, I think this movie is fantastic, and uh, that's me. Someone who is not a fan of half movies or part one movies. Um, I think that's my biggest criticism of the film is that it builds and builds and builds and builds and then kind of fucking gives you blue balls at the end um, by not, uh, uh, you know, reaching its climax. Um, And. I don't know. Like, I'm I'm so mixed on that. I've seen the film twice now. It it's really a pet peeve of mine. Like, I, I know television does this, and cinema is becoming more like television. Television's becoming more like cinema, um, where you get episodic storytelling. We have had part one movies for you know all the time. Like, I mean, and we're getting more and more of them. Um, it's just my preference is for a film to have a beginning and an end, and this was one of our biggest criticisms when we had when we watched Dune was that it just it felt like literally the first act of a movie. This doesn't quite just feel like the first act of a movie. It does almost have a complete arc. Um, and I've had some people, I've talked to some people, and they gave me the perspective of like watch the film from from Gwen's perspective, and it does kind of begin and end with her. Um, so it does kind of have a full arc of her her story, kind of in entrenched in the middle of this bigger miles morales story where she's obviously an integral part of it and i like that um and on second rewatch i did see that a bit more but i do feel like and i don't want to start with the negatives because we're gonna i'm just saying my one little pet peeve because then we're gonna gush about the movie for the for the rest of the time but um that's my only criticism of the movie and i think that's what's stopping this movie from being better than the first movie for me, just because I feel like it is still incomplete. Like it does have a full arc for miles and it does have a full arc for Gwen. um, And they'll expand on those themes and the different things in the next movie and even build new ones. But like, I think just where it it left me wanting more, which is a good thing, but then it also left me feeling incomplete or, or like, or, or it got me, you know, I was like, Oh, I want to see this. And then it just kind of, you know, ends. And some people will love that. Some people won't. I'm kind of more in the won't category. But I think overall, I think this is one of the most gorgeous movies I've ever seen in my life. One of the best animated movies I've ever seen, like pure from a technical standpoint of just, you know, the first movie was just, you know, completely, I think, changed, um, you know, animation and animated movies. uh, Moving forward, we've seen its uh, inspiration in, uh, from other studios like Pixar with Turning Red, even though that's more on the anime side. We've talked about, Eric, when we saw that. Puss in Boots, the the newest one, takes this. I mean, Mitchells versus the Machines. It's a lot of the same team that worked on, you know, Spider-Verse and, and, and things like that that have gone on to different projects. But you can see that inspiration that has come from that first movie. And this just takes that up to, like you know, 100 uh, with the different animation styles. And because you're jumping to different universes in this one and and including almost 200 different spider people, like the different animation styles and how they all work together is just uh, mind-blowing. And how that works with... You know, the fantastic, um, you know, score of the movie by Daniel Pemberton and like it just the the performances throughout the movie. Like, I think, you know, Shamik Moore and, and Haley Steinfeld, you know, really kind of have a hold of these characters now, um, you know, Brian Tyree Henry and. You know Jake Johnson, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, you know his arc as the spot. I think is is fantastic, going from this joke to this incredibly menacing, you know, uh, nemesis at the end of the film. Like the new inclusions from Issa Rae and and Karen Sony and and you know Oscar Isaac, who was in the first film a little bit, and you know Daniel Kaluuya, Spider Punk. Like, there's so much in this movie. To your point, Eric. Like, where some superhero movies, when you say they have 200 characters and multiple villains and multiple heroes and like it's it's so hard to balance all that but like it's literally it feels like magic when you're watching this movie of how the animation and the performances and the the character arcs and character growth throughout these two movies and just this movie um I I don't know how they did it in both of them and how they lived up to the expectations of that first movie and even maybe surpassed them in some areas. And while I said I still ultimately like that first film more... I think just because it was new and I like origin stories and it felt complete, right? Like there that moment with Miles when he first becomes, you know, Spider-Man and that leap of faith. That moment is I think one of the most iconic scenes in superhero history and the way the music works in that and and that shot of him falling upwards when he's diving down. Like there's nothing in this movie quite like that moment, but I think once I get the second half of this movie, if I look at those two parts as a whole, I think it has the potential to surpass that first movie. It's just right now, as I'm seeing this part one, which I know they changed it to two different titles to try to make people realize it's not a part one. Um, But I think it's incredible. Um, We'll talk way more about it, but those are just kind of my high-level thoughts. I think it's fantastic. Go ahead, Eric.
1: Yeah, uh, this movie is spectacular in in every frame, and and when you're watching this movie, you can't help but be sucked into the different animation styles and how it's continually changing it up. It's just a complete and utter feast for the eyes, and when you're just completely engulfed by the material – you realize how incredibly thought out the script is when you're when you're watching this because you know there is the multiverse aspect of it all, but what it's doing and in, in terms of playing within different animation styles, but also different worlds and bringing them together, or kind of creating an intersection of of these worlds. You realize how the live action. You know, uh, Marvel movies or DC films in the last few years that have also taken inspiration from the 2018 film haven't taken the right inspiration. You know, they're 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 basically taking these properties and you know, selling them to you and saying, "Hey, look at this. Let me tease you this with this one the or two, ca- yeah. yeah, with these cameos, or let's you know throw this up for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, but." it never got the essence of why those movies work. You need to kind of play within the fabric of these movies and not simply just, you know, tease it by showing a, c- a scene of it or, or, or a couple of seconds of like, Oh, this could be a world you explore. It's like, no, actually spend the time to have these characters explore these landscapes and see what they do and see how they
0: interact with other people. you, um, it's about the characters, not just, you know, showing a different universe. And it's, a you know, I, I think what you said is taking from that first movie, it wasn't that it was here's all the different Spider-Men and here's all the different universes. It was Miles' story at the core, core of it of being, you know, human and real and and personal. And I feel like You know, I agree with you that some of these other movies, and I haven't seen The Flash yet, but I, you know, with Marvel and the MCU doing their multiverse thing, because that uh, I think, which was really introduced to the mainstream in Spider Verse, it's like, no, here's Black Bolt and, and, you know, a different version of Reed Richards and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, okay, but we don't. Know anything about these versions of them? You use them a- almost as just plot, right? And then or fan or service, fan service, a surprise, things like that. So I agree with you there. But keep going. Yeah,
1: and 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 you also just have the core of of the family. I think the Miles Morales family dynamic is really important because you can see the pressures of someone who really wants to venture outside of Brooklyn and know the world and embrace it and become a part of it. But then you have the matriarch who is still protective of her teenage son and, and knows the world a little bit better than him through experience and doesn't want to see him get hurt or rejected in maybe the way that she was or she knows you know how society can be. And you know, with that, I think is really interesting where, you know, your, your world starts off so small because when you're a child, you, you see the world as 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 big and threatening, but the older you get, you, you become more curious about it. So you want to kind of take that step into a bigger sort of zone. And this is for both Miles and, you know, his counterpart of Spider-Man stepping into, worlds not just one world not just wanting to tell your
0: own story too yeah
1: and 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 i think one of the great aspects of of this narrative is seeing how miguel o'hara voiced by oscar isaac creates this elitist kind of club where everybody except miles for the most part is invited to be a part of this group and so it's dealing with elitism and dictatorship and and sort of you know repressing those who are marginalized without you know giving them a place to be who are also doing very much what you know Miguel is doing in terms of protecting uh you know the people he cares about but he's doing it in a way that feels like okay well Miles isn't supposed to he's not one of us he's not a part of the team and i think that that mentality comes through in life in general when it comes to you know people feeling like they're not good enough to be a part of a membership or a club and just because their their writing doesn't meet you know this criteria doesn't mean that they're, they're just they're different in general exactly or
0: supposed to be here and i'd sort of interrupt you but i yeah. totally agree and i think that meta um layer on the movie even mimics how Miles was perceived when he was first introduced in the comics too, which is, I know something people have been talking about and it, it's obvious in the movie, but like of just him being, you know, a black Spider-Man and, you know, we've just had Peter Parker. Well, Afro Latin. History- I think yeah, that's, yeah. 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 Thank you. But, um but just, you know, I mean, in the comics being introduced that way of that's what I meant people perceiving him as and going, you know, not my Spider-Man who it's Peter Parker. Like we don't need this kid. And then um, that being, you know, shown in this movie with that kind of meta layer i think is really interesting but then on top of that like you just mentioned and all these other different kind of ways of life of how people either aren't welcomed or told that you're not supposed to be here or you're not good enough and i think it does such a good job like with the juxtaposition between that and then yeah like with his family and then as the miles morales part of it and the juxtaposition between spider-man and miles uh, morales as well so
1: Yeah. And then you have, you mentioned the spot. What I really like about that character is at at first when you're introduced to him, and I think even, you know, casting Jason Swartzman as the voice, there's a non-threatening quality to him and a playfulness to him. But it's almost like any kind of, you know, even his name, the spot. You could almost look at it as something that you consider like a disease that maybe seems non-threatening or like a rash or an infection that, you know, it's like, oh, I'll just, you know, put some polysporin on and at the end of the day, and maybe you don't get to it right away. And then a week later, you realize it's gotten worse, and then you need to go to the doctor's for it. Or, you know, you can look at it as something more metaphorical to... How you know someone like Trump uh, was considered a joke at first, and everybody thought to themselves, like, "Oh, this is not going to turn into Didn't anything more than, seriously, right? than a than a, a gimmick." And then it became something far more serious and more power concerning.
0: And, yeah, and then yeah.
1: it, it corrupted and infected, uh, you know, the American society as a whole. And then it also made us all look at sort of like. You know, this group of people that felt that they needed to rise up and become this, you know, villainous sort of section. So there's a lot going on there with, you know, its, its metaphors and its structuring in how it's telling this story that both relates to the Spider-Verse, but also, you know, our own world. And then on top of all that, as you mentioned, I think the only criticism I have is the same one that you do, where... I think you do like if you know going into this movie that it is part one of two, you're 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 waiting for that cliffhanger to kind of undercut the climax. And so when you're watching it, when when you see Miles enter his own home, his 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 yeah. world, and then you know, his mom is acting a little bit different and 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 not sure who this Spider-Man is he's referencing and things like that you begin to realize, okay, this is where they're going to leave things. And I think that that does take you out of the movie a little bit. Now, if you're someone that doesn't know that this is, uh, you know, a part one of two going in, I think you're also going to be disappointed, not in an anticipation kind of way or be self-aware of it. But once you get to that ending, I think you might be a little bit dissatisfied with just how things are left, um, you know, And and, and given like how long we might have to wait for it, because even though tentatively it's supposed to come out next year, that's probably wishful thinking.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it just, I've, I've seen both reactions, right? I think some people really love a cliffhanger and they go, holy fuck, like I can't wait. And, and they love that ending. And I could see people being a little bit disappointed because it, it doesn't really give you an ending, right? Like it does feel like it's breaking for an intermission, right? Like it does feel like something like this would be a, four hour long movie and you take a 20 minute intermission and you come back and you watch the rest. Like that's how I would have preferred to watch it. But I mean, uh, I'm fine with waiting as well. It's just, I, I don't know. Uh, It's the one like purest thing that I, um, I don't get hung up on things with movies and I kind of let them be what they are. But for some reason it's like TV I don't mind give me a cliffhanger I'll come back in a week or even at the end of a season you come back in a year and you know you're getting it in a year and I think that's the approach we're getting in some movies now um and I just like those to be different like I like uh, we said this a lot in in our Dune review of just like the best you know, part ones of of a trilogy, like still have a full arc in that first movie. And I think you can argue it here. And we'll talk about Gwen's kind of story throughout this movie, even though it's very much a Miles Morales movie. But, you know, even the first film and the second film don't start with Miles. The first film starts with Chris Pine's Spider-Man. The second movie starts with Gwen Stacy's Spider-Woman. So like, I do think that third movie will finally start with Miles because he's, you know, it's taking a while for people to take him seriously. And I I think that's kind of even intentional but um you know even starting with gwen for the first 20 minutes of this movie before you see miles and then um is it an interesting approach and um something that i wasn't totally on board at first because you're there because it's you know it, it is a miles morales movie or that's what it's pitched as right even though really it's just a spider you know person movie, or beings right? in this beings, case yeah like yes exactly um but very much Miles' story still but so those are just like the little things. And then uh, there was something else that I wanted to bring up that I wasn't. Uh, oh, the sound mix, obviously, which the, I we've heard that they fixed. So we're only talking about the versions we've seen, which in that first week I saw twice. Eric saw once. Uh, I saw an IMAX once and AVX once um, AVX screening was not great. I went to a brand new theater and I was shocked. I thought it was the theater's fault at first, but then as I came, uh, I I started talking about it online. People are like, Oh no, my, my sound was awful too. So I don't know how that happens. And I feel like that's fair to criticize the movie, um, for that. Um, you know, sound mixing is a huge part of a movie. You can win an Oscar for it. Um, so I mean, it's, uh, it was not good. I will say that like it was really bad during the Gwen Stacy um, parts at the beginning and then it got better and Eric, you jump in when you you, you want, but I think your screening was very similar, Um, it, but still with some of the action mixed with the dialogue, it was very hard to hear uh, the spider people at, at certain or spider B It sounded like a
1: Christopher Nolan movie at times like yeah. Tenet or the Dark Knight where like his movies tend to have you know this was a, a, an error but his movies tend to have horrible sound mixes where you can can't hear some <laughs> of the dialogue when you know the score especially with when it's a Hans Zimmer score is kind of overpowering and and with that first act in particular even though there is so much going on visually speaking that it keeps you completely engaged with the material you do have a harder time hearing some of the more kind of um vulnerable and sort of um character-based moments in that opening 20 minutes or so, or even into the half an hour. Uh, But like the, 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 the Renaissance vulture Guggenheim fight sequence is incredible, but then you have like, you know, the impact of uh, Captain Stacy and, and Gwyn kind of having that conversation of, of, of Shea Wiggum voicing Captain Stacy and, and Haley Seinfeld. And it's such a, a really powerful moment of, of character development and what you look for in in a comic book movie but there is something that sounded kind of muffled about it where yeah. it, it didn't sound like it was the, the the proper sound mix but when watching it i was thinking oh it was something wrong with the 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 theater itself like there was something wrong with
0: that's our, our go-to usually yeah with with like, the actual hey which system. i think is fair for us i think well because
1: nine times out of ten it is the problem with with especially Cineplex and its monopoly over uh, Canadian uh, theater change, and there, and there not being uh, any uh, other options. I think that like, that's that's an important conversation to have. But yeah, go, going back to just thinking about like the criticisms and just like the idea of the part one. It's also just fascinating and kind of funny to think that you know uh, two of the movies we reviewed uh, in the last couple of weeks or the last month are both Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse and Fast X, both of which have Doom alumni and both Doom alumni were killed in Dune, but now we're moving on to uh respected franchise, Jason Momoa and in, in, in in Fast X now and going Oscar on Isaac, to yeah. potentially two more uh, yeah. Fast movies and then Oscar Isaac and across the Spider-Verse and probably beyond the Spider-Verse as well. So it's just funny thinking about that as well, where, where, you know, you have these, guys that are kind of a part of this this trend. But, but it's always been around. I mean, Back to the Future is the most obvious oh, totally, one, where I remember yeah. as a kid, the, all three of them were available at the time that I saw them, but I remember Back to the Future 2 specifically, having that ending where it showed you the Western sequence. It's like coming I know, soon. But doesn't
0: that feel like a complete movie though? And that's just a stinger to the next. It one does. Like it do- well,
1: well, the first one in particular when like, it was never meant to, be, there was never meant to be like a back to the future two, Like the way that yeah. that movie ended was like, Marty, there's, so There's something wrong with your kids. It's got to you. Got to fix them, and then and then they go back. Then they go to the future. Like it was just kind of like a fun button to end a movie. But then with Back to the Future Two, they had shot Back to the Future Three by that point, so they were showing you like literally, yeah, this is coming soon. And it's the same way with Beyond the Spider Verse, where you don't see any footage from that movie, but they are telling you that yes, there is another.
0: Oh yeah, part of this story—that's that. the post-credits scene—is yeah. not a scene. It's just Miles Morales will return and be on the Spider-Verse. We were having this conversation, and I think it's a, an interesting
1: one to have. Where originally it was going to be a part one of two, but then they got rid of the part one. And you know, you have Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One coming out, and then even with Dune, like it wasn't really announced until the movie played at Venice and started playing the festival circuit. That people saw that it was. Dune Part One, but even on the posters and and you know being nominated for awards, it was just called Dune.
0: Infinity War was originally Infinity War Part One and Part Two, then got retitled to Endgame. So like we're seeing this a lot, where a movie's almost announced as a Part One, but whether it's someone at a at the studio or something that goes, listen, like. I have this theory. I don't know. I don't see the numbers and you kind of see it in box office and in certain things. But I'm I'm interested about Mission Impossible because they're sticking with the part one where um, I feel like it's something that almost deters people from seeing a movie and not excites them because they go, oh, part one, that means it's not It's not a full movie like I can just wait until part two comes out and I'll watch both of them or something or or... like I think it's different when a movie starts as just um, you know I mean Dune tried to do this even though the whole time it was really just part one but like John Wick right John Wick was just John Wick and then once it was super popular they went okay John Wick chapter two John Wick chapter three Parabellum weird That they, I love when studios just make (laughs) weird title choices and then they drop it though afterwards, and then then they never have like a second title Um, after it's weird. But it's usually it takes shape after when the second movie comes out, and then people are like, Okay, I know this is just part two, and then maybe a part three will come out. But I think when they shoot back to back, and even Lord of the Rings, when Peter Jackson shot all three of those movies back to back to back, right? Like he shot them all as one film, yeah. And then so even Fellowship, like I don't love the Lord of the Rings movies, I think they're um they're enjoyable. I watch them for the first time just like last year or something, but I, those movies still, and we said the same thing, they still feel like full movies, even though at the end it's like, let's go hunt some orcs or whatever. And they make the the fellowship doesn't get built until the end of the first movie. And it's like, okay, yeah, but uh, you're still telling one bigger story, but I feel like you still need those arcs in each movie. And again, we'll, we'll talk about Gwen in a second, like, um, and, I still think that you need like a full arc and I guess Gwen's arc with her father at with captain Stacy and her um, you know, going with the, the spider uh, beings and then leaving them to help miles at the end and gathering a team together to go help him. Like, uh, I, I do find that that is a complete arc and I noticed that a lot more on my second watch, but I guess because I'm viewing this as a Miles Morales movie, it did feel incomplete to me. Um, and which is Miles's story is not complete and Gwen's story is not complete either, but in this movie, I feel like she has the most complete arc out of anyone. And I would say the spot maybe doesn't have a complete arc cause he's still trying to, you know, exact revenge and it is a pretty simple revenge plot but to your point of like if you blame someone for turning you into what people view as this freak and you lose your job and people laugh at you and, and kind of um you know I think it is an interesting way of um, you know someone who's ostracized from his community because of the way he looks and then how that kind of makes a person kind of uh you know vengeful and 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 want revenge and i think that's kind of a a, a good arc throughout the movie too and the way that they use animation to kind of showcase his change right i think is and they do that with all these characters if you look at Gwen her emotions throughout the movie i think they do such a better job in this movie than the first one where in the first movie she's animated very similarly to miles when she's in his universe where in this one i think they give her universe its own look and and feel and the way that they play with like watercolors it almost looks like and stuff like that and like and pastels and things like that in her universe and how her mood changes like the world changes around her and i think that's really awesome so um i kind of went off on a tangent i don't know what the fuck we were talking about. well well
1: i i think we were talking uh, about like the idea the of, of the part, part one. one but but yeah. even something like it's interesting with dune because dune it, you know was being released during the pandemic so there was that kind of caution from warner brothers that's like okay. Well, we'll see how it does before we make a decision to green light right. a sequel. But then calling it part one in the title of the actual movie indicates that there's confidence that yes, there will be another half to complete the film. Because well, that clearly, seems like it's a only Denny
0: Villeneuve confidence and not necessarily a Warner Brothers.
1: Right, confidence. right. But then you look at something like you know uh, Andy Machete's adaptation of, of of it. That was just it. And there was the, the 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 tease of chapter two at the end of it, but at the same time, Warner Brothers was waiting to see how the film would do before officially greenlighting it. So there's there's not necessarily, uh, like you know that just because a movie says that there's going to be a sequel or it's it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen. Sometimes either have we it's- had any
0: part ones that never or parts that never. I mean there's too. there there are movies where I mean there's movies that have a cliffhanger or a or teaser for another movie and then probably never Well there are one
1: jokey on ones it, but... like I know a lot of people yeah. kind of reference like uh, Buckaroo Bonsai for example where like that has an ending where it's like uh make sure to Tune in next time for the sequel to Buckaroo Bonsai. And like everybody was like, oh, that sequel will probably come out in a couple of years. Or something like, even though it didn't have a a, a sequel reference per se, but it was based on the first of a series of books, was something like Master and Commander uh, with Russell Crowe, the Peter Weir movie, where a lot of people were expecting, because it was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, including Best Picture. Everybody thought that that was going to become a series and it never did. And even now people still are like, oh man, that would have been an amazing, you know, franchise. And it's one of Russell Crowe's best performances. And it's just kind of like a fun swashbuckling film as well. But like the, the effects are amazing and it just came at a perfect time. So there are those movies that maybe that aren't necessarily like part one of something that haven't kind of fallen through, but there are movies where it's like, oh, there, there were maybe some expectation that you could continue it on based on, you know, Existing source material or the potential of the writers wanting to continue to develop the character or you you get stuff that that just doesn't really hit like even something like uh, the, the gold compass, right? Like the, the 2007 film, like even though they made right. it into a, a series, a yeah, better part of a
0: series that just
1: it failed or even yeah. divergent like look at how that series kind of petered out where that was a series of movies and then they didn't even finish the films because there wasn't an, it was at the end of the young adults kind of um, hysteria of, of things. So by the time that they got to the second last movie, people had lost interest in those films completely. So the last one was supposed to be a TV movie and then that fell through. So there are those kind of situations, but I don't think there's any been anything where it's like, you know, part one of something being announced and then, you know, two or part three two out, yeah. doesn't ever happen. I think like you usually have the reinforcement of, yes, these are going to be released if you make the, con- sign the deals or, you know, make a contract for something like that. So those are issues where I think like, it's just more of um, a money thing ultimately where like there yeah. are some studios that are like, okay, let's see how the first one does first before we make any sort of long-term commitments because there it's maybe untested or it has been a while since people have been interested in this kind of property. Um, But with this, I mean, it it kind of felt like a surefire thing. Once Spider-Verse into the Spider-Verse was released, it wins the Oscar. It's influenced blockbuster cinema both live action and animated uh in the last five years and i think it will continue to another movie that looks very similar that's coming up is tmnt mutant mayhem um i'm sure the transformers animated movie transformers one will probably take some influence from it so you know like that alone i think is enough to generate that interest and then yeah with gwyn's story like the way that her emotions externalize the color palette of the world that she's in um, really give you a sense of who she is as a person. But then also what I really love about this is that in that first movie, we do get her origin story, but just a snippet of it. And it's done in a way that's kind of, it's, it's, it's telling you in a way that you are familiar with. You know, like it's the classic story of losing somebody and then becoming, you know, the 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 hero of the story. Yeah,
0: almost like I always interpreted that as he was Spider-Man and died just like Gwen Stacy died. Yes. Or, or not even he or wasn't maybe he wasn't Spider-Man. Sorry, he was Uncle Ben. The, he's the Uncle yeah. Ben, you know. Well, and, of course, but yeah, I I I, and then I viewed it as kind of how Gwen dies in, in Spider-Man's story. It was just a reverse of that, of like she couldn't save him from another villain. Like I didn't – the lizard thing I, I didn't expect and I don't know if we even knew that from that first movie. Like No, movie we didn't because that, that's, right? that's yeah. the whole
1: thing because they play it in the first one like an Uncle Ben situation where Peter dies and – and she becomes spider-woman and 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 she takes on that mantle and so with this it's like uh 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 you know like that that was that was almost you know, even though it wasn't necessarily from the perspective of Mile, but it's like that's the version you assumed it to be because you're being shown all these spider people's stories and almost in a comedic way. It's like, well, I started this way and then I was bitten by a radioactive spider and then my uncle died and now I you know, mm-hmm. I have to save the day all the time in, in, in New York or my universe. And with this, it's like, okay, well, you got the abbreviated version, but let's look at the nuances and complications of how Gwen really became Spider Woman, and so with that, I think that that adds so much more to her character. And like Absolutely. you were saying, it, it is her story from beginning to end, and it that is where the satisfying sort of full web experience comes into play when you're mm-hmm. watching it from her perspective. Because you know, even though Miles is the fulcrum of this entire series. Within that, you're still getting other people's perspectives and journeys. It almost weirdly reminds me of The Wire, where that first season of The Wire sets you up to think it's from the perspective of just the cops, but then it begins to branch out and explore you know the city and the people living in Baltimore and then also the the politics of Baltimore and then but it's
0: focused around this one thing that yes. Lets you show the other and it things. just expands
1: yeah. through that but it's still all connected to that this one web, person then. yes exactly and that's the, the 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 brilliance of uh Phil Lord Chris Miller and Dave Callahan's screenplay is that it it it's able to expand and touch all of these strands but still feel like it's it's never kind of getting away from the main core of the story either. And and just again, like even Gwyn in this, in this narrative, being caught between two figures that are very similar. You know, Captain Stacy's a guy that is a cop that follows the law to a T, even questioning, you know, his own daughter before being a father. And then you have Miguel, who is so determined to keep the universes that he is now protecting in check that he doesn't consider the human element, you know, to the the, the idea of the greater good, you know, sacrificing yeah. the one in order to protect everybody. But the one is just as important as everybody. And so, yeah. you know, Gwyn kind of being in between those two worlds and, and even the betrayal that Miles feels that... You know, because Gwyn kind of Gwyn is and on Peter B. And- yeah, and and all, and all these people sort of becoming members of this group and leaving Miles, you know, out, but also, you know, actively, even if they don't realize it, you know, coordinating he, yeah. a, a, a a a plot against Miles. You know, it's it saying
0: the, he doesn't belong, right? Like, yeah, and history, when it's like, your yeah. friends
1: that are doing it or or being complicit in it. I think it adds even more complexity to the narrative structure than what any comic
0: book movie has done in the past. I agree. Twenty years, and that's what made me, you know, on on rewatch, like hearing Gwen's voiceover at the beginning, which is a narration, and and is what I didn't realize in the first watch is she's obviously. That's her at the end of the movie, speaking at the opening of the movie, talking about the story, because you even see flashes of the rest of the movie and 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 what she did to fail miles throughout this thing. And that i I love that, and that miles is that center that the web kind of uh, you know spreads out from. And I feel like Gwen's story is very much fueled by. You know her friendship and and everything with Miles and and that whole arc with her and her father and 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 what happened to P- her Peter and things like that. I, I think is so interesting and and hearing people view it. I think some interesting conversation online and I know as two cis men, we don't have a ton to add to this, but I think it is important and interesting that I've heard people talk about it as like a trans allegory, right? Like using the trans flag throughout the film, her colors on Gwen's costume and her hair and the way that the watercolors, which we talked about move into kind of the trans flag colors and Captain Stacy wearing a trans flag on his uniform, uh, a trans kids matter flag in Gwen's bedroom. Um, I don't think the interesting conversation is—is is this Gwen Stacy trans or is Peter, her Peter Parker trans? But just using it as as, as just a kind of um, a way of viewing that type of story, I think is is is. Uh, those types of things that you don't see in movies like this. And I think are interesting to go deeper and think about these characters and what they're going through and how that views to real world things and real people and, and, and stuff like that. So I don't know if you've read any of that, Eric. Or seen I have. And, and, it, and, and I, I think, think it's, really, I think it's diverse in, in, in yeah. a way that it's not heavy handed
1: and it's not yeah. trying to hit you over the head. It's allowing different perspectives to be yeah. interpreted without saying you're wrong. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's also a really important point of this story is that you know miles being an outcast within the Spider Club and being told he's not good enough or not you know he's not supposed to be a spider man you know it really sends home this 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 really powerful feeling of isolation and and loneliness that I think the spider character in general feels. And I think a lot of people within marginalized communities can relate to those things. And the movie is opening itself up and saying, it's okay to have this conversation and to interpret it the way you want to. And no interpretation is wrong. I think that that's the, the, the main thing. It's, 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 open to having that and opening its heart to to, to say these yeah. things. Like even just seeing, you know, Miles wearing the, the Black Lives Matter yeah, button. button, you know, like things yeah. like that, like it's in there. It's not propaganda. It's just saying, hey, this is a part of who this character is. And it's sharing this and these worlds with everybody. And it's doing it in a way where I think there's going to be a generation of kids that will be able to see themselves on the screen. Like even seeing, you know, the, the emo, you know, uh, black version of a punk, you know, with, yeah. with, with hobby, it, it, with, with Daniel Kaluuya's character. Like that's something that's not rarely seen in the, you know, 1970s sex pistols, punk era yeah. of British rock, you know? And that was a part of it. Like, it, you know, like it's, it's, it's not just simply doing it to be quote unquote woke it's doing it because that was a part that's never been touched upon and it's actually bringing it back into the conversation and not erasing it from history so these things are so important within the context of this narrative but again it's it's looking at something that's even bigger than itself in a way that doesn't feel like it's trying just to be a part of the conversation at the time. It's just, it's just, it's just there. It natural. And
0: like, and, and it, it, I, I love that of like, you can go deeper into each one of these characters and see some sort of metaphor allegory or very much just who the character is. And I, that's just kind of what I loved. And I feel like what builds on this movie just being so fantastic. So um, I do some reading on all of that. There's, you know, people who are doing some interesting commentary on, on whether it's Gwen or Miles or, like you said, uh, Hobie or or everyone, like even having, you know, um, uh, you know, I love the new characters. We can move on to that. So you have, you know, Jess, Drew, and Spider Woman, and and uh, Pavatir uh i think uh i'm butchering pronunciations i'm sorry but spider-man india uh awesome um i love Mumbatan when they go there and like all the humor in the movie i think works i don't think it's quite as funny as maybe the first movie because it does have quite a serious tone throughout um but the chai tea
1: thing is very funny chai tea
0: is great and there's great bits like that throughout like i think both of these movies are almost so, sometimes too clever for their own good, or there's so much thrown at you where you miss it, or you kind of just like that's really funny, but you don't like laugh out loud, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, I did laugh out loud multiple times, but it's not like a pure comedy, it's just like that. It, and you know, I don't want to say this is all Phil Lord and Chris Miller because they're, I think, they are very great writers and very great producers, um, but they they just have a good sense of, of working with their teams to come up with very clever humor, very clever meta commentary that I think is a through line throughout their, all their movies. Like Peter parked car made me laugh way harder than I, than I thought. And like all the different Spider-Man, the Lego Spider-Man, um, I think is a great nod to their Lego movies, but just that one line from Oscar Isaac being like, thanks, Peter, you're one of our best. And then like, beep, boop boop, <laughs> and like, like that, that Spider-Man just like killed me. Um, uh, i just thought i like the team of spider people in the first movie more just because they were more of a team and i feel like we got a little bit more of them um and i mean nick cage of spider-man noir i can't wait for him to interact with andy Sandberg's ben riley like i just think that that'll be amazing like there's got to be a fight between those two in the second movie right like (laughs) there has to be Um, but I just think like everyone did such a great job and the amount of spider people that they throw in or spider beings they throw in in this movie uh, is insane Um, shout out to Chris Anka uh, who did all the character not all of them but like the majority of the character designs in this movie I know Chris through um, kind of funny um, I've done a couple reviews with Chris over there uh, we reviewed the green Knight together and a couple other things over on kind of funny uh, great guy uh, a very very talented comic book artist and uh, he's been doing uh, on his Twitter feed and stuff and Instagram some breakdowns of how he came up with the costume designs in this film and how he worked with the team so go check out Chris his stuff um he's fantastic and all the designs of the spider people like if you have a very a favorite version of spider-man or a spider person or spider being they're probably um in this movie somewhere like um if you're a fan of the video games the ps4 uh insomniac version of spider-man uh is there uh you have oh my god the live action uh live-action Prowler from the MCU uh, universe is there, which is absolutely wild. You have Donald Glover pop in, which is such a meta thing in its sense, in itself. And Eric is, I'm waiting to see if Eric comes back because he did drop out because of his internet, I think, and he might have to reload, but I'm just going to keep talking. So, um, like, the amount of people, um, I'm going to stop now and we'll go back or we'll wait and see if eric comes back he's gonna try to jump back in <laughs> god i didn't miss this everyone um the technical issues from certain internets and different things is uh, always wild but i'm gonna stop here and then see Spider-Man, Spider-Man. i'm in the driver's seat spider-man smite in his battle chip remember always wear your seatbelt. too much for you Spider-Man's no match for my try, Spider-Slayer! No thanks, I already showered today. I'll bet the guys really flip over you. Excuse me while I get myself out of a pinch. Web shooting Spider-Man. Figures and vehicles sold separately. And we are back. I'm not sure. Eric uh, got sucked into the Spider-Verse. Uh, Spider-Bite in- uh, in-
1: incepted this uh, transmission. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, what universe did you get sucked into?
1: Uh, I got sucked into the world of Venom, actually, which was mm-hmm. not a fun place to be, I have to admit.
0: Which we did visit in this movie. We were talking we about sure all did. the different uh, spider people. And spider, uh, uh, I think that's what we were talking about before um, you you left us. Um I think no matter who you're a fan of in the comics or the TV shows or the video games or something like that, that spider person or spider being is uh, probably in this movie somewhere. It's not every single um, spider being, but um, oh my God, there's so many characters in this. Like, you know, I've watched, you know, the new rock stars breakdown of Easter eggs and things in this movie, and I don't even think um they can point them all out cuz there's so many like i i think this will be one of those movies where you could go frame by frame when it's out on you know streaming or or 4K that you could pick out different characters some original some from the comics and different things like that like did you have a favorite spider being in this movie eric cuz like i just loved seeing um even as a video game fan, like the newer Insomniac Spider Man, when there's a video game joke, uh, seeing some of the live action stuff was jarring um, and felt like I, it shouldn't work, but it weirdly did. Like when you see Donald Glover pop up as the Prowler, like the MCU version of the Prowler, like um, is is awesome. And uh, because I don't know if he'll ever play that character in live action in an actual, you'd hope they introduced Miles Morales into the MCU. Um, But it's such a kind of fun nod of even like the meta thing there of him, Originally wearing a Spider-Man costume in Community, and then people wanting him to play Miles Morales, and then him playing Uncle Aaron in the MCU, and now finally, you know, playing the Prowler in this. Like, I think and meeting a version of Miles
1: Morales in in this Spider Verse. I think, yeah, stuff like that is a lot of fun. I don't know if he's he he was there, and I missed him. But the one Spider-Man that I would like to see, or if maybe he was, and I need to rewatch it, was the Spider-Man from the '90s cartoon. Um, that's the one that I
0: don't think he was, and I, 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 you know, I thought maybe the Ben Riley, like Andy Sandberg's Ben Riley, was going to be the Ben Riley from the animated series, but he seems like he was more like the comic book Ben Riley than the animated series. And we did get, um, spectacular Spider Man, like Josh Keaton, um, actually has a line of dialogue in, in this, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, and you get the 60s um, Spider-Man animated uh, coming back in, in, with one bit. But yeah, we don't see the 90s. Because I just want that theme in there somewhere, Eric. Yeah. Like, you got to have that. Well, the Aerosmith
1: theme, right? Like, yeah. it's it's pretty good. But the, the, the sad thing about the 60s Spider-Man thing is that Paul Soule actually passed away um, a few years ago. So, unfortunately, they weren't able to get his voice for, for – and he's from Toronto, so – um, shame there. But uh yeah, it's just it's just interesting seeing all these different versions kind of interact and, and like you were saying with like even the Lego Spider-Man, I think that is probably the funniest moment of, of the film and the yeah, the bit I laughed at the most, specifically with the, the uh the communicator sound effect. I think like that's where like that Lord and Miller humor does tend to creep in a little bit. Even even in the trailer, when we see you know, that one, you know, um, therapist sequence and all the Spider Men yeah. come like flooding in and that sound effect of the you know, like it's just like those little things feel like the inner child of Lord and Miller are are coming out in those moments.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I already mentioned Peter parked car, which I laughed at <laughs> uh, quite a bit. Um, Taron Killam plays uh web slinger, which I think it was, it was kind of fun. Um,
1: even he, he sounds was- a little bit like Nick Cage. I'd say like Andy Samberg and, yep. and Taron Killam almost sound like they're doing variations of the Nick Cage impression almost.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree there. Um, we've uh, uh, Andy Samberg, not enough of him in this, but he's doing the Nick Cage thing for Scarlet Spider. Ben Riley, uh, you mentioned Spider Bite, which is Amanda Stenberg. Um, there's just so many people. Yorma uh, Tacone played uh, Adriano Tumis uh, or the Vulture, <laughs> the Renaissance Vulture, which yeah, yeah is
1: amazing, like the Leonardo da Vinci type, and like that fight sequence is just so incredibly. Uh, well choreographed you know where all the action is going the the dynamic of the different fighting styles that each spider person is bringing to the table in that sequence and just the idea of this vulture like his own backstory of being pulled into this world it's like oh you were probably just sitting and doing blah 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 and then you were yeah, right. yeah. it's like yeah that's that's about it and like all, just seeing least, him sit at a cafe is very funny
0: yes all the art jokes in that opening because of uh da vinci and that they're at the guggenheim um uh uh nevis laughed a lot my my wife uh who's in the art world kind of uh laughed quite a bit during that opening sequence um god there's so many more too i'm trying to look through and, and see um yeah hearing yuri lowenthal as as the insomniac spider-man i thought was was really really cool being uh um a video game fan i think those are uh, fantastic games so um not enough peter b parker for me in this like i thought um, I liked Mayday and and you know that he got back with his version of Mary Jane. They reconciled and had a kid. Like I think that was um great character growth from from that version of Spider-Man. But he was one of my favorite things in that first film, and his intro just still destroys me every time they go, Okay, let's do this one last time. And he talks about his really sad history. I think crying in the of, shower is very yeah, funny. Like is <laughs> so funny, like just every little beat from that. Um Uh, is so good and he's utilized okay in this movie but you can tell like everyone who was on that spider team in that first movie is kind of relegated to probably playing a bigger part in part three where this was very much gwen and miles in this one and then you had you know like i mentioned spider-man india and and Jess drew and 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 a couple other people that have a little bit more of a focus, but yeah, um,
1: Miguel, Miguel O'Hara, like who was introduced at the very end in 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 the post credit scene of Into the Spider Verse, and 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 Greta Lee as his um sort of uh his Comtech, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like uh his Alexa or AI, something like yeah. that, yeah. So like that, I think is also like a, a, a an important aspect of the story, and I really do think like you know. In terms of supporting performances so far, we've seen this year Oscar Isaac's work. I think is on par with some of the best. Like it is a really fascinating character, and just kind of it. It shouldn't work because of how ridiculous it is. Not on, not just like the future, the futuristic aspect of the character, but the vampiric nature of him. It's yeah. like on paper, it's like that shouldn't be, you know, emotionally joke uh rotten any way whatsoever but then you begin to understand his motivations and we've talked about this before too where the best villains are ones that you can understand their point of view or why they're doing what they're doing you know not simply just because they want to take over the world or you know um have all the money or something like that, like something that's the ones
0: that believe they're doing something good. Yes. Like I think, and they really believe it and you can kind of see their perspective, even if they're what they're doing is kind of objectively wrong in in certain.
1: Yeah. And it's still oppressing other people in the process, but they are justifying it by a means to an end, or, you know, again, the greater good aspect, like something like, like Spock would talk about in Star Trek, where it's like, you know, it's, it's the one versus the many. And, you know, as soon as you lose sight of the one, well, you're, you're, you might as well just be sacrificing the many because the one does become the many
0: yeah i love jk simmons coming back and i love that he's the one he's the hosting. universal yeah like he's the <laughs> J the, jonah what they call it yeah like he uh nexus being he's like the same in every universe it's jk simmons so like he just either has uh more hair or less hair or something like that so i thought that was um fantastic that they just was like no nope, no one else can play joe J jonah jameson it has to be um J.K. Simmons. I think that's the, the um, best thing to do though with that. Like you can't not have J.K. Simmons. It would
1: be wrong no, if it was somebody else.
0: Absolutely. The only
1: so. other person that could do it, I think, is Ed Asner, because Ed Asner voiced uh J. Jonah Jameson in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, but yeah. sadly he's passed away. So
0: yeah. Um, so I love all that. I think uh another criticism, um, if you're kind of overthinking, um the plot of the movie and and some of the stuff that happens is for a lot of these, uh, spider beings, um, we know those versions of the characters, whether it be, you know, spectacular Spider-Man from the animated series, the insomniac Spider-Man from the PlayStation four series. Um, some of the other ones from the different universes that people have actually followed. Um, I think a fair criticism is would these spider beings act this way like how were they convinced by miguel to go against one of their own and kind of and and say like oh yeah miles isn't supposed to be spider-man and we need to let his father die and there's more nitpicking i have there with some of the stuff too of like if he was never meant to be spider-man why does he have um canon events and things like that too like i guess it's because he became spider-man he then has to like inherit those canon events and so i both love and and don't love some of that stuff where like yeah you could make the argument of like the spectacular spider-man we know from the animated series or the insomniac spider-man those are the two i'm referencing because i know those um wouldn't act that way like they there's no way that they would go against miles right like that's against their the fiber of their being from what we know of those characters so i think there's a little suspension of disbelief um there um so i don't know if you felt that way a little bit eric of like how how would these spider people like why they're almost joining this you know again even us as, as viewers can see where miguel is coming from and i guess if some spider people view it from this bigger thing of going well a universe could collapse if he if these things don't stop so i guess that overcomes or overtakes like saving one person but it is the one versus everyone kind of thing that we've seen recently in last of us and other things like that too there
1: there is a hive mind mentality to it that kind of feels like again like it's almost like bees where you know they're protecting the queen and they'll do whatever they have to to do this one thing and it's like a singular mindset I don't disagree with you where like it does feel like, you know, the spider people in general are always portrayed as very smart, sort of outside the box independent thinkers and to think for themselves and to always do the right thing. So you could look at it again, though, as a dictatorship, as propaganda, as as Miguel is somebody that has been feeding everybody else this one way of thinking and this information that we haven't seen the other side so he's saying that this person doesn't belong and is a threat to the many universes including your own so yeah. we need to protect that so I, I think you could look at it that way but then also i do think that there is an argument to be to ma- be made about what you're saying but there is a, a um you know a a kind of um contradiction or, or fighting back against that a little bit i think with spider punk where spider punk yeah. can see the writing on the wall and he can see that like this is an organ this is this is against what he is as not only as a spider person but as a, you know an anti-conformist you know yeah. and, and like by the end of this narrative he's like peace out i'm done with this because this is like not what I signed up for. And,
0: and then ultimately you get that group at the end that yeah. joins, you know, Gwen Stacy. And I realized in a rewatch that what she's saying at the beginning is what she's saying to all these different spider people to convince them to join her, to help miles. Like yeah. that's what it is. Right. Like, so I think that bookend, um, is really, uh, really clever. Um, shout out to spider Canada as well that you saw a couple times with the hockey stick. And, um, uh which is great i found an image maybe i'll use this image for um the art that we have because i think that could be fun but uh yeah they have a a hockey stick and um it's they if you know the 1972 summit series jerseys when canada played the ussr um that's what the costume is kind of based on and it looks really, really cool. So I want to give a shout out to Spider Canada as well. But going back to those kind of canon events and kind of that I loved and hated some of that stuff of how these spider people were acting, the part that I did love, which we've already compared earlier in this very um, detailed discussion we're having about this movie, um, I I did love that kind of meta breakdown of what Spider-Man has always been and what it always should be in in the eyes of you know the spider verse and this uh, in this you know universe um, in all these separate universes like they always need a you know a mentor or family person uh, uh, member to die and that's their uncle ben moment right like and we see all these different uncle ben moments whether it's uncle aaron or uncle ben or peter or captain uh, stacy Captain. Like, well captain stacy is almost a separate one on top of the the other one right? right like you always have the the mentor uh uh family member moment where in the mcu we always thought it was tony but then it was really aunt may um but you could argue that it was either of those or both um Or both. Right. And then you always have the police captain who always dies as well, whether that's Captain Stacy or, or another police captain, the captain always dies. And then usually Gwen Stacy always dies. Right. Or, or in Gwen Stacy's uh, version, the the traditional romantic lead. Yeah. Yes. That's a good point too. So whoever the romantic lead is, that's not Mary Jane. Um, Usually dies. So, like those canon events that I think is such an interesting way of tackling the story, both from that meta layer that we talked about of like, you know, uh, Miles just not belonging because his story is a little different. Um, but I think is like analyzing both the superhero genre and the Spider-Man genre, which is a genre of itself, right? Whether it's comics, movies, video games, and we see live action, we see animated, we see venom, we see every element that always is part of every (laughs) spider-man is its own medium Um, well it is it's its own little web right because like venom always happens in spider-man's universe it's like one of those canon events is a symbiote uh attaches itself to someone um and that event always happens so i think like looking at the spider-man story and we talked about no way home being this celebration of, of Spider-Man, which I think is still true. And I think it's still a great movie, um, but this eats it but, for
1: lunch, you know? Yeah,
0: I agree. I agree. Um, that's what I'm getting to is yeah. that like, this really looks at the Spider-Man story and tries to deconstruct it and go, why does every Spider-Man story have to be the same? Right? Like, why does it always have to have these things? Why can't it do its own thing? Why can't it tell its own story? Why does it have to be, why do superhero things have to be so repetitive and, Follow and the formula, and like, uh, yeah, formula, like where, why can't we do something different? And I think what both of these movies has shown is exactly that we want to do something different. We want to tell a different story, uh, while still having all the trademarks and paying homage and, and, and paying, you know, tribute to these other stories and universes that we've loved with great like I love the Raimi movies I like elements of the amazing movies like I like um you know I love the MCU right and it it references all of that kind of stuff and I love the comics Uh, Spider-Man comics were the comics that I read as a kid like I still have some of my Spider-Man comics. I have my favorite comic book cover as a kid was Spider-Man with the iron spider suit that was metallic and silver. And then it was like holographic. And like, I think it was a Todd McFarlane cover. And like, um, I still have that somewhere around here. And it was one of my favorite versions of Spider-Man as a kid. And like, it's the one comic book I read throughout my whole life and, and on and off and to kind of pay history and and kind of deconstruct that, I think is is really kind of interesting. And um, so I, I again, I love the use of all the spider people. I don't love all of it, but um, I like that kind of looking at the canon of Spider Man and that this always has to happen. And goes why? Why does that always have to happen? Like, and I think that's cool. And we'll explore that even more. Of like. In, in the in the follow up of like do those things actually have to happen or are you kind of causing them maybe but uh i think that will be an interesting uh thing anything else you want to i mean we didn't talk about the ending i guess is that unless you want to talk about it yeah i just wanted people. to add, i just wanted to add on to
1: so the canonical the exposition events. i think is really important because it doesn't feel like you're just being spoon-fed exposition for the sake of it in and, and terms of getting the 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 over arc or the overarching storyline of of Miguel O'Hara or him explaining what the world is. Like it's actually deconstructing the world building in general. And we've been hearing a lot about this because of of movies like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, and even Shazam, Fury of the Gods Um, Not doing that well at the box office and, and superhero fatigue. And I think that's true because the market's been so saturated with the genre that people are getting tired of it. But I think the reason why people are getting tired of it now, because it's been going on since, you know, really predominantly since 2008 nonstop. Is that we're being given the same story again and again and yeah. again and again, and it's always an origin story, even if it's a different character. It's well, always one
0: a... version is an origin story. Yeah, yeah,
1: but that's usually always the first film, yes, and then the second definitely. movie is more of the same, just more a of world
0: and en- a world-ending event. That yeah, they need to stop. And
1: then sometimes the third one gets a little weirder if you know there's less control over it, or if you know. Uh, Marvel, for example, has moved on to another character that they need to bring in and do an origin story for them. So they let people go wild. With so they, so, but but there's still kind of like... A formula. Yeah, a control over these things. And it kind of feels like none of these movies are truly able to let loose in a way that explores the medium in which they came from in, in a kind of fun and exciting way. But also, yeah, to kind of wake up from what we have been given time and time again, and to renew our interest in the genre. And I think with these two Spider-Verse movies, you're seeing that formula be questioned in a way that is breaking down the system in which it's been created or, or or upheld. It's like it's worked for so long, but you can't do the same thing all the time because yeah. you're just going to become numb to it. And again, we'll talk about it more when we review The Flash, but I think the lessons that Spider-Verse is teaching are the ones that filmmakers need to learn and listen to, but also studio execs. And not just look at it from a point of view of like, how can we you know like cuz i mean even with spider verse there is this as well and 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 i think cuz you mentioned like with the video games comic books the movies and things like that there is a corporate element to it all where it's like it's selling you certain things but it's less so with spider verse than i would say the flash where when i was watching the flash i felt like i was watching space jam a new legacy all over again but to the point of it was specifically selling me on all of DC uh, that yeah. Warner Brothers has adapted. And it's like, oh, do you love these? Do you love this? Do you love this? Well, buy this or go back and rewatch this or buy the new 4K that we just released. Where Spider-Verse, there is some of that, but there's still a purpose to all of it. And it's that same way that I felt with the Lego movie. You know, you're you're yeah. you're taking something that is essentially product, but you're finding a way in and making it more referential and irreferential to a degree and having fun with it and also kind of finding something that is less disposable and more tangible for the viewer to take away and think about. And I think that those are the elements in Spider-Verse and in the Lego movie that really work to selling it as more than just a commercial.
0: I agree. So the moral of the story, hire Phil Lord and Chris Miller to produce. Yeah, you should. uh, Lawrence Kasdan and Kathleen Kennedy should have let them made their solo movie. You know, I will never. I'll never forgive them for that. I just want to know what that would have been like. You know, that's all I want. I just want to know one day. I hope when I don't know. Someone else is in control of Lucasfilm and there's a hundred sort of years from now. <laughs> so, I'm on my deathbed and someone's like the documentary about solos coming out. And you can finally see some of the footage from how Phil Lord and Chris Miller intended it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, they're, they're fantastic. And they always find that angle of, of whoever they're working with, whether they're directing something or helping produce something or writing something of finding that angle that, um, Make something a little bit more out of, you know, some sort of property or IP, if you want to look at it, like in in the most kind of corporate of terms. So, um, yeah, I, I think we didn't talk about like the action in the movie is great. That one chase sequence with all the spider people going against Miles is, is incredible. Um, we've already talked about the animation. So let's just wrap it up by talking about the cliffhanger and the ending and then we'll um, we'll, we'll wrap this up. So uh, the end of the movie we get this sequence where miles gets sent back to his universe, which if you're paying attention is clearly earth 42, which is not miles universe, which is based um, on the DNA of the spider, which bit him. Yeah. That's how the, the machine reads it. Yes. So he gets sent to earth 42, which we don't know. Uh, they do that classic kind of movie thing where they're um, intercutting, you know, two different sequences to make it seem like they're at the same spot. Cause Gwyn's in his like, world. Yeah. And, and so, I think it's it's very, very well done, even if you, uh, again, if you know it's part one, you know what it's building up to. Um, I think the reveal, um, you know, you clearly, again, if you are listening, you can kind of know where it's going, of, of but the reveal of Miles... Uh, uncle, uncle Aaron being alive and that he's in a different universe where a version of himself never was bitten by that spider that was intended to bite him. So I think that's an interesting point too, that the spider was always meant to bite a Miles Morales, which is, I guess, why it finds him in his universe, which I think is interesting, right? It's still a canon event is that a Miles Morales needs to be bitten by that spider. Um, But it's uh, cause you even see it briefly when the spot's talking the miles with his braids in the school, right. As the spider gets sucked out,
1: um, Oh, that's another so, quick thing. The retconning in this is so much better and still yeah. ridiculous in how humorous it is compared to the Fast and with Furious the spot movies. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah
0: with the spot always being – and the references to everything everywhere all at once yeah. uh, I think are, are the, fun bagel. The, the bagel. The and, bagel. And there's a billboard for a, a version of that movie that's called something else. Um, but anyways, going back to the ending. So then it's revealed that this version of Miles has become the prowler um, and is working with uh, Uncle Aaron. Um, and is very menacing that one punch that uncle Aaron does. I thought he smashed miles face, (laughs) just his head exploded. Um, but it's, it's very, very well done. It is an excellent cliffhanger, which I know. Um, I already talked shit about how I don't like half movies. Like it is a good cliffhanger. I will give it that. Like it does make you very excited for the next movie. Uh, then they cut to Gwen who has put together this uh, team of, Uh, of spider beings uh, to come help miles against Miguel and what seemingly looks like his alternate version of himself. But I think there's some good theories out there that uh, that version of miles might not actually be a bad guy. He might be like a hero version of the prowler or an anti-hero or anti-hero is a, is a better uh, description, but uncle Aaron um, and anti-hero prowler. (laughs) Which I could definitely see, right? Like Miles is meant to be heroic in every universe. So I think that might be a, uh, we want you to think that this guy's a bad guy, but um, really it's just, he never got superpowers. So he had to find a way to, you know, do good. And he ultimately changed the fate of, you know, uh, his uncle. And obviously his father is dead in that universe. And that kind of maybe pushes him to do that. But um, I, I think he, yeah, he probably will be a more violent, sort of anti-hero um, rather than a pure villain because I still think Miguel will be the villain uh in the spot obviously um even Miguel will probably turn uh, and f- see the light in in the last movie if it but who knows this movie always kind of uh plays with your expectations so uh, I do like the ending even though that's kind of contradicting what I said earlier but um it's just I'm like, man, I just I wish I had the rest right now, which I guess is both a good and a bad thing. So um, I popped for Spider-Man Noir, which means Nick Cage is probably coming back for the next movie. Um, I like that they have the team from the first movie as well as uh, some people from uh, this movie. So I think you had everyone from the first movie. So you had a Spider-Ham, Spider-Man Noir, Peter B. Parker, uh, Penny Parker uh and gwen right that's everyone yeah. from the first one and then you also there's also reference Spider-Punk. to aunt may
1: as well within um, um uh miles morale like the 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 dead peter parker because she moves away at the beginning of yes uh, uh across the
0: spider verse yeah she moves uh yeah i forget where they said she moved to florida or something like yeah. that um and then uh you have the new group also including Spider-Punk, right? Yeah. Um, you have Spider-Bite, I believe, as well was there because she kind of helps him uh, escape at the end too. Um, and those are like kind of the new additions to the group. Uh, Spider-Man India. Um, and then you also have the the villain group, which is Miguel um I mean, villain in quotes, because like, I don't necessarily think that Jess Drew is like a villain, but she is still kind of on Miguel's side. Of things as well as um, Andy Samberg's uh, Ben Riley, so, <laughs> I'm sure he'll um,
1: also recruit probably some more people that maybe are more yeah. prominent and beyond the Spider Verse. Uh, it would be yeah. amazing if uh, Jared Leto's Morbius was in there, and at the end of Beyond Spider Verse, they're just like, "We need to kill Morbius."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I would love that. So, um, I I do think it's an effective ending. Yeah, I do agree with the theory that the the Prowler that we see is meant to look like a villain, but it's probably- misleading. Bleeding.
1: It's a misdirect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree with that?
1: I think so. I mean, I, I'm sure there are going to be aspects of that character that's maybe like Miguel O'Hara, where like he's somebody that kind of does his best, but at the same time isn't maybe as morally thoughtful uh, compared to Miles or other versions of Peter Parker or Spider Beings, where the whole point of Spider Man is that he's somebody that even in the darkest hour has to put he's altruistic he has to put his 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 own needs and interests aside or their own interests and needs aside in order to help those and and, and be selfless and so you know like that's always been something that's weirdly been inspiring i think for that character for a lot of of kids feeling like alone and like nobody they're not able to relate to anybody and like when you read that as a as a as a kid whether it be a comic book or watch the animated show you always got that sense from the character and even in the movies where it's like it's like i can't like i have to sacrifice the things that i want not because I, I I have to continue to be miserable for the sake of it, but it's to help everybody else because I need to make sure that I, I use these powers responsibly. And it goes back to the uncle Ben saying, so it's, you know, like that's the story in its nutshell. And again, it's diverging from that as well, which is yeah. a really good thing because it's it's keeping it fresh and exciting for you know, fans that have known this character for so long that can be surprised by these new iterations of... The spider beings, and the storytelling, and the music, and even the closing credits, Bond esque style animated sequence is so beautifully done. The soundtrack is incredible. Um Everything in oh, this god, movie. Oh god, I've been listening
0: to that soundtrack over and over and over.
1: It again. It, it it just it, it's such a, a a complete piece of filmmaking. Even if it's only half of a, a whole, it's it's still. Out of all of these part ones that we've been getting in film and television and 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 even comic books with volumes and things like that, it does feel the the most complete. Because to your point, there's the part of it where you could look at it as the cliffhanger with Miles' mm-hmm. storyline, but you can also look at it as the climax and the conclusion or the completion of Gwen Stacy's story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Uh, five out of five for me. Um, again, not a perfect movie, but as close... I think I agree with what you said earlier, Eric, that I think the first Spider-Verse movie, Into the Spider-Verse, might be... I think is one of my favorite movies of all time. And that's might be hyperbolic, but it's true. Um, and I think is the best superhero movie of all time. And I think this is a close second. And I think once I view part one and part two together. I think not only could this be the uh, best superhero trilogy um, ever, um, I think that part one and part two could easily surpass that first movie, which is such a crazy thing for me to think of. But um, I think my only thing is that it does feel like sort of half a movie, but that half a movie is better than most other movies <laughs> so like most other superhero movies for sure yeah um, and blockbusters and things like that like i think it's harder to compare it to ever you know uh, movies are hard to compare because they're sometimes doing completely different things. but i'd rather so take
1: this half yeah. than holes of most marvel and dc live action movies that we have gotten yeah. even the good ones i think that this half is 10 times better than a lot of those live action movies. And like, again, like you look at, at someone like Oscar Isaac, I think there's more complexity and interest as an anti hero here than there is as moonlight, you know, or moon Knight, moonlight, pardon me, yeah. <laughs> uh, I moonlight. Agree. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, but, but, but that goes also to show you that, yeah, that, yeah. that, that, that's that character. It's like, it's wasting the talents of somebody who is an incredible actor, but you just, you, you, you kind of can put them in the blockbuster, world and then their talents can diminish or dilute over time and so when you get something like this that meets their level of, of of expertise and their dedication to the craft it it makes it all the more worthwhile and so like seeing that character again it's just like there, there's just so much going on with that and he's only just one piece of the tapestry and yeah. there's so many great little moments for everybody in this movie that feels like they're getting more than just coming in for a couple of days to do, you know, uh, voiceovers. Like it feels like they're getting a full experience for themselves, creatively speaking. Cool. Your rating? A uh, four and a half out of five. I will probably give it a five once I've seen part two, but like, I yeah. do really love the movie. I think it's the film to beat of the summer. And I think every movie going forward, will be comparing it to, both of these films and and it's going to be hard not to. Uh,
0: Anything you'd like to see in the next one, a Spider-Person? I think we both want to see the 90s Spider-Man. Yes, and that theme, that theme song. Oh, that guitar lick would be sweet. Um, The other prediction or something we might see. I know we were supposed to see Spider-Man Japan, which I don't think we did see in this movie, but I thought that was announced. So maybe we see him in the next one. Superior Spider-Man could be an interesting one to be on Miguel's side, which is when Doc Ock, possessed peter parker (laughs) like his like they switched bodies and then doc ock becomes spider-man for like a couple years and he's called the superior spider-man i think that could be interesting to have him on uh, miguel's uh side um but it it should be interesting to see kind of where they take um and what other spider people or spider beings they incorporate in the next movie because you think like they were thinking about doing that silk spinoff right they have the madam web movie coming up which you'd think ties into this because madam web's like a big is a multiverse
1: of... jumper and yeah. yeah
0: like i know they said like phil lord and chris miller have come out and said that miles's story is this trilogy and that there's not going to be more after that okay I well think i think
1: sony I, I, I a... yeah I, I think sony can continue it but i i think lord and miller yeah. and 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 this team are looking at it from the perspective of like this is our story. We're coming in and telling it how we want to. You can do what you want afterwards, but this will this is this is us. This this is what represents what we made.
0: You but know? I think uh, Sony has been trying so hard to Get their own Spider-Man universe, right? And they're finally have sort of gotten it where they're tying everything together with these Spider-Verse animated movies. Well, but so, it's it's I about w- holding on to the rights, right? Like that's yeah. that's the big
1: thing about the Sony verse, is that it's about keeping the rights from falling back into Marvel's hands because they have to continually negotiate between the two studios in order to come to an agreement that you can use the character that you originally licensed us, but we are going to continue to profit off of this character as well. So it's, it's basically like divorced parents sharing custody of a child, you know, but now it is kind of, it's almost like the spider verse. Like I could see Ken Feige being like, yeah, these movies are great, but they've kind of fucked us over a little bit because now they've given, they've given them more ground to build on their, version of it
0: i have one more question before we go um theorizing about things i'm still a big mcu person i I like that they've tackled the multiverse maybe it as it's not done as well as it is here um but in in secret wars if that's still how they're gonna go i know that there's talk about how they might pivot away from Kang and multiverse stuff and try something else but I still think ultimately we might get Secret Wars and I still think the multiverse will play a part of it could you see a animated Miles Morales showing up or do you think the MCU would take a different approach not mixing animated and live action of if Miles was to be Would it be their own version of Miles or would this Miles show up in Secret Wars? Because the rumor about Secret Wars is that it will be that universe. It'll be endgame, like the portal moment, except you're going to have characters from all these different universes, good and bad, that we've liked and disliked coming together. I'd be curious to see if they'd go as... Like you have had animated characters work with live action in Loki, and and we liked Miss Minutes and things like that. But would an animated Miles coming out and helping fight in Secret Wars be strange? I think it just depends really on the filmmaker. I think yeah, it, I it guess, depends yeah. on who the director I is. Rami might do it, right?
1: Yeah, because if they're comfortable enough with the animation style, then maybe they will take it on. But if they don't have that background, then I could see what will happen. I I can already vision it, envision it, where it's like a scene of the character leaving their animated world and then yeah. like a physical manifestation of themselves is created in a live action version but yeah. then it would defeat the purpose of what lord and miller and this
0: team have created over the the, the and have set up yeah. that live action universes or live action animated's animated and i know that's like the not what you're necessarily talking about i just mean from a a look perspective that each universe has its own look some is live action some is animated different animation styles and things like that like yeah i don't know like i could see there being a live action segment but more roger rabbit style in the second or the next spider verse and the beyond one because tom holland is the only spider You know, live-action Spider-Man we did not see in this movie. No, even though he is referenced at one point with Doctor Strange. Yeah, which so it does connect to the MCU even if it's tangentially, right? Because the MCU, well, even Venom, right? Yeah, connected with the. With Venom, which also connected with the MCU and the two Spider-Man movies, which connected with the MCU. So you got to think that they want Tom Holland involved in that next movie. And that's why I thought it was an interesting choice to make the live action characters actually live action. I thought they would animate them like they would change their look for the movie. Yeah. Um, But they didn't so maybe we're rotoscoping or something like that but it seems (laughs) richard linklater style yeah like they but it seems like they're committing to those being live action but i like that though that's that why i i I, I like the idea
1: that yeah like just because like even with the lego stuff like just because it's it's the the live action universe doesn't necessarily mean that every universe is live action you know i mean there could be one universe that is just like sound (laughs) <laughs> you yeah. know and yeah. like in visually you can't interpret it so like why not play with the mediums and have something that again elevates the material to a new dimension and creates something dynamic in its direction and it's called beyond the spider
0: verse i yeah. would, and they said they talked about live action sequences in this movie but it, they never did it but i would not be surprised if we get even if it's short like a, a Tom Holland live action segment in the next one. Like I, I really do think that we probably will get that and it'll be, I, I have, I have faith in them that they'll make it work. Yeah. Um. Okay. That's it for this one. It was a beefy one, but obviously Eric and I, I uh, really, really love talking about this movie, um, so appreciate it, uh, you guys listening or watching now a week after its release. I hope you've seen the movie a couple times at this point, and it's set to come out on uh, streaming, I think, in a month, basically, in, in mid-July, so we'll be able to watch it much, much more. I have heard as well that they have fixed that those audio issues. I haven't personally uh, gone out to go see how that sounds, but i uh, I'm tempted. I am tempted. I'm tempted. But I don't usually see a movie three times in theaters. It's very rare. Um, No John John Wick chapter four (laughs) for Eric, for a guy who never really cared about the John Wick movies. Um, But I might watch your dirty mouth. We'll see. But there's a lot of other stuff I got to catch up on, and a lot of more stuff, Uh, a lot more stuff we'll be reviewing and watching in the near future. Uh, So keep an eye out on Untitled Movie Reviews, which is the channel you're on right now, or if you're on YouTube, Uh, we'll have reviews for Elemental. Uh, Asteroid City, which you guys can check out very, very soon. Um, We want to have a main episode out for you guys, probably as you're listening to this. I hope it's out, and I'll be talking about kind of what's been going on the last couple months and things like that. Uh, But thank you for everyone for your support and listening or watching. We really, really do appreciate it. Um, As always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work uh, on Family Feud Canada and around the internet. Uh, but mostly at UntitledMoviePodcast.com, and you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Roarbeck.
1: And I'm Spider March, and you can find more of my video reviews on RogerStv.com slash Scene, and on all the social medias at EM6211.
0: Until next time.
1: You, 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 you. Pew, pew, pew. Thwip, thwip.